following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. Ephesians chapter 5. Let me ask you a question this morning as we start in the text. When you were growing up, when you were a little kid, some of you need to think back a little farther than the rest of us. When you were growing up, who did you try to imitate? Who did you try to imitate? Just think about it in your mind right now, just for a second. Not who intimidated you. That's a whole different sermon for a whole different day. Who did you try to imitate? Maybe for some of our older congregation, it was Butch Cassidy, right? Right? Uh, some of the old radio television shows. This Roy Rogers. There you go. So handsome, right, Carolyn? So handsome. And then maybe, you got, maybe you're not in that generation, Roy Rogers' generation, which I am not. I heard many great stories about it, though. Uh, maybe um, it was a, a great um, sports figure. Remember when the Olympics were huge and uh, you would want to imitate uh, some of the people from the Olympics? Maybe it was like um, uh, my dad, it was uh, not an Olympian, but Mickey Mantle, right? My dad had a Mickey Mantle baseball card and his grandma or his mom, my grandma, threw it out. Rookie card, in the trash, see you later. Never forgave her for it. (laughs) Maybe it's a little bit uh, later. Some of us in in our generation, people like uh, actors and actresses like Brad Pitt, Jennifer Aniston. We had this picture the other day of the Friends uh, set. And maybe those are people that... You wanted to imitate. Maybe for some of our younger generation, it's people like Justin Bieber. I hope not. I pray for you. I remember when this was cool, you know? Some of you are still doing this. And the older generation is trying to give you medication for that. Are you, son, are you okay? When we came to know Jesus, the people that we imitated changed, though, didn't it? I remember when I was a kid, I mean, I remember the battles between Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire, and I would have loved to hit a home run like Sammy Sosa. And then I came to know Jesus, and things changed. And the people that were secular that I tried to imitate, it's moved over into a sacred world. And we do that too, right? Some of you know some very prominent Christian figures, and you've tried to imitate them too, haven't you? And you think to yourself, man, if I could just be like Dr. David Jeremiah on the radio. That's older people, okay? You hold on a second. I'm getting to you. Or maybe, you know, you think about some people who are popular pastors, and they just look cool, and so you gravitate to them. But what we see in the imitation with people is it always falls short, doesn't it? It always falls short. I mean, we try to be like these people and we forget who ourselves are. We wonder to ourselves, who am I supposed to imitate? Who am I supposed to be like? Is there anybody that I'm supposed to be like? Is it bad for me to want to imitate this person, this celebrity, this sports figure, this even Christian figure in today's society? Is that an okay thing for me to do? 
And Paul realized as he writes the letter to the Ephesians that they're asking the same questions that you and I ask. There are popular figures that are in Ephesus and there's popular people who are kind of coming on the rise and people are looking at them. Some of them are sports figures and some of them are just really popular spiritual figures like Paul and Paul's got uh, Jesus' disciples are still somewhat in the mix and people are trying to become like them. And Paul realizes that the people are asking this question, who should we imitate? And in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, he says, you should imitate God. What does that look like? What does it look like to be an imitator of God? How am I supposed to imitate the Almighty? Do you not know that he created the heavens and the earth? He moved the waters of the sea so the Israelites could walk through on dry ground. He died on the cross for our sins. God loved the world so much he gave his one and only son that whosoever you and I would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. How am I supposed to imitate that? It seems impossible. And yet Paul here in his letter says you be imitators of God. What does it look like to be an imitator of God? Let me pray before we get started. God, your book, not mine. Your words, not mine. Your truth that I cling to. I thank you that you made it easy, that you articulated it so clearly in your followers, that you gave us minds to study so that we could see clearly the truths of the text, that it wouldn't just fall on our minds, but it would seep down into our hearts and it would pour out into our hands and feet and we could become your children. And we would have the opportunity to not only know you, but we could imitate you well. And so would you do me a huge favor today and speak to the people and even myself who are gathered here in a way that I cannot. And would you help us to soften our hearts to the truths that are in this text so that we would see clearly in ways that we cannot see on our own strength. That you would come and be an aid and a guide and a help as we so dearly long to honor you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as ourselves so that a world that's far from you will come to know you and so the church that already claims you will be built up. We love you, Jesus. Do a mighty work here in the next few minutes that we have together. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Ephesians chapter 5. Therefore, you are to be imitators of God as beloved children. Verse 1. Paul says, therefore, and if we look at the text, we wonder what is it? Therefore, well, you could bridge that back to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, where he says so very clearly in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, a summary of all the things that he said in Ephesians chapter 4, which is, you should not be like your old self, which was full of bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander. You got to put all that stuff away. You can't be like the person who you once were. You become like new children, a new creation. 32, look at what it says. Be kind to one another. Where do you learn kindness from Jesus Christ? Tender hearted. You forgive one another as God in Christ loved you. You be like Jesus. You be an imitator of God. The culminations of Ephesians, of what Paul is trying to say, is that you should walk. How? You should walk, Ephesians chapter 1, in a way that is worthy of which God has called you out of your sinful state into a state of righteousness. 
He says in Ephesians, the whole book, he says, you walk worthy of the gift that you have received, the grace that has been given to you. You walk according to that grace. You also, he says, are going to walk way different than the rest of the world. You're going to walk totally different than everybody else because you're going to walk like Jesus. You're going to be different, distinct. It's called being sanctified, set apart. He said, you once walked in darkness, now you walk in light. He says, you once walked in foolishness, and now you as children of God walk in wisdom. You know the truth, and you implement it properly, he says. That's the walk in which you and me are called as Christians. As we talked about in chapter 4, it's a changed walk, right? He says, you walk different. Therefore, knowing all these things, knowing how you should walk, knowing who you should be, you become imitators. And you could circle that word in the text if you wanted to. Another way to put that would be mimic. You mimic, you mirror him. If you're taking acting classes, what you do is you mirror the other person as an exercise to figure out their motions. It's kind of fun. Do it when you're at lunch today person you're sitting across from you put your hands up and if they go like this you go like this and if they go this way you go this way it's super fun people at the restaurant will think you're really weird and they'll ask you what are you doing and you say i'm just telling i'm doing what my pastor told me to do and he says you mimic god you walk like he walks you talk like he talks you move like he moves in kindness soft hearts forgiving and all of this as we've learned in the past couple of weeks, should be done in love. Your motive, the motivation behind what you do as a Christian is love. It should be the desire, love, if you don't know the definition of love, is seeking the other person's best. If I truly love somebody else, if I truly love my spouse, my wife, I'll seek her best, and in turn, she'll seek my best. If I truly love God, I'll seek his best, and I know God truly loves me because he sought my best when he said, his one and only son, to die on the cross for my sins. Not as a condemnation, but as a salvation. So you be imitators. You mimic him. You follow Christ's example. You mirror his attributes. And you'll be good. Okay, but the question's still on the table. How do we become an imitator of God? Number one, look. As beloved children. That's your first stop in the process of becoming an imitator of God. You become like beloved children. So that means I have to accept the gift that has been given to me of grace that God freely lavished upon me. I have to say, God, I admit that I'm a sinner and I understand that there's things that I've done and sin is anything that you know is right and you don't do it. I know that that's been something that I've done and I understand that your blood that was shed on the cross covers my sin and I want to be your child. It's an adoption process. Of going from the person who was in darkness to now who walks in light. He says, your beloved children. Now, that word beloved is interesting. You want to know why? That word that is used there in the text is the same word that God used when Jesus was baptized. Did you know that? Jesus comes and he wants to be an example for us. He wants to show us how to live. John is baptizing and he sees John and he comes up to John. And he says, John, I need to... Be baptized. And John says, no, I should be baptized, right? I'm the sinner. I'm the one that's out here in the wilderness eating locusts and all that other stuff. Like, I'm the crazy person. You should baptize me. And he says, no, you baptize me. It'll be a great symbolic expression of what people will do who follow me. It'll show the old has gone and the new has come. And the old has gone in the Old Testament. And the new has come. Me, I'm the Messiah. I'm the Son of God. And John does it. 
gets Jesus in the water and he submerges him. And as he comes out, something like a dove descends down and God's voice speaks in the New Testament. It says, this is my beloved son. And Jesus, because he's God's son, gets to use that word again. And he uses it for people who confess with their mouth and believe in their heart that he is Lord. I don't know how you perceive yourself, but I know how God sees you. He does not see you as a crooked child. He does not see you as somebody who is wayward or who needs a lot of help, which we do. He sees you as who you can be. He loves you. You're beloved. Somebody asked me who my favorite kid is. I said, it depends on the day. <laughs> That's not true. They're both. They're my, my beloved children. These are my daughters whom I love. God says, that is how I see you. You are my beloved child. You have the right to be God's child. Did you know that? You have the right. It is as if the inheritance check has been written and he's handed it over to you and now it's up to you on whether or not you will cash the check. So many of us think to ourselves, well, when we get to heaven, we'll figure that out. No, 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 no. When Jesus died on the cross, he wrote the inheritance check and he slid it across the table and he says, you have the right to everything that I have. All of which I have, you can have too. He says, if you want that, You cash the check. And you cash the check by belief. It is from grace that you have been saved through faith, belief. I believe it. Just as you believe that you sat on that pew this morning, that it would hold you up without inspection, so God saves us through our belief. You have the right to become God's child. It's a supernatural adoption that takes place because of God's grace. Now, I know this firsthand because I'm adopted. I took my dad's last name in freshman year of college. People look at Bethany and they say, Muck, oh, that's a horrible last name. And I say, hold on a second. I took it too. (laughs) We become God's children, beloved children, in the supernatural act of adoption. And now we no longer say, this is my dad. This is death. He is my dad. He's the one who I cling to. No, 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 you don't do that anymore. You say, no, 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 my dad is Jesus. And people will look at you and say, prove it. And you will say, how? By being an imitator of God. What is an imitator of God? A beloved child. One who bears his name well, who does not, as we talked about in chapter 4, grieve the Holy Spirit. In other words, walk on the path that is not intended for him or for her. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit, he says. Walk in accordance with the new self, like beloved children. And my kids act accordingly. And they look at you and they say, I know your, your children and I know who your mom and dad is, right? If you ask any teacher who teaches, you look at that kid and they would say, I could tell you a lot about that kid by their parents. As Christians, can I tell a lot about you and me when you call yourself a Christian because you're a beloved child of God? John chapter 1 verse 12, you have the right. Galatians chapter 3 verse 26 says, You can be the sons of God through faith. How do I become an imitator of God? I become his beloved child through faith. Two, continue on with the text. He says, so you become imitators of God, of beloved children, and you walk in love. As Christ loved us and he gave himself for us. It was a fragrant offering 
and it was a sacrifice of God. Well, let's just talk about this walk in love. If you have a text and you have a pen, you can circle that word walk. Walk is an interesting word there. We've already talked a little bit about the worthy walk, and we've talked about being different than the rest of the world. But that word walk that's being used there means to progress. You come to know Jesus Christ. You stand in the faith for a moment. That's it. You say, I have received God's grace. I am his beloved child. And now God kicks you out and he says, go like that. As beloved children, we want our kids to leave the house. Amen, mom and dad. Yeah, yeah. We want them gone. Right. I have reared you and raised you. Mom, it's a little different. No, you stay, stay. Dad, go out the door. Right. That's why God's called our heavenly father. Not our heavenly mother. If he was a heavenly mother, we would stay. I wish she would just stay a baby forever. No, can you imagine changing diapers for the rest of your life? God says, no, I don't want you to be that way. I want you to progress in your relationship with me. I want you to to progress. I want to see you do good things. And as parents, we watch our kids progress and we watch them get older. And it's exciting. If you don't believe it, go to the soccer fields and the baseball fields and the football fields and watch mom who's got all the gear on and she's cheering for her kid. And she says, that's my boy. And dad's like, that's my boy, right? They're excited because it's their kid and they're not grieving them. They're doing them justice. And the dad looks at the mom and says, hon, He's going to take care of us in our old age. God has heard our prayers. They're progressing. You walk. How? If I'm going to imitate God, how do I progress? You progress in love. John chapter 5, verse 42. Jesus is talking to his disciples. Loves them. Jesus' disciples don't get it. They're hard-headed like us. And they said... God, Jesus, teach us how to pray. We want to know how to pray. And he teaches them how to pray. You should pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, how be thy name. Goes through the whole thing. And he says, Jesus, how do people know that we're like you? How do people going to know that we're your disciples, that we're following your teachings? He says, John chapter 5, verse 42. And this is how the world will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. If you seek the other person's best, they will know that you're my disciple. If you seek a world that is lost for the gospel of Jesus Christ so that somebody far from God will come to know God and you clearly articulate the good news of Jesus. By the way, it's right in front of your pews. We leave it for you. Take this home with you and memorize it. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ that you would love a person who is lost to articulate clearly with them the good news that Jesus came and died on the cross for them so that they too could be beloved children. Yeah? And that your brothers and sisters who are gathered here, who are in the fight, you look at them and you go, hey, it's okay. It's, 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 we're walking in love. They're going to know that, that I'm Jesus' disciple if I seek your best. In other words, I'm going to tell you some things that are hard sometimes. I'm going to tell you some things that, that honestly, that you're, you're off on and, and we need to get back on the right track. And I'm going to tell you some things that you're doing well too. You will know that They are my disciples if you walk in love. Who's my example of love? 
Jesus, look, as Christ loved us. Now, if you look at this in a different translation, or if you were to go back into the original translation, it doesn't say Christ loved us. It doesn't say Christ gave himself up for us. It says has, has, already done. Amazing. You can write that in your Bible, which I did. It says Christ has loved us, and Christ has given himself up for us. How? When he died. Well, let's see. How does Christ loved us? Let me give you three ways. Christ loved us once when he welcomed us as sinners. For the wages of sin is death. And because I sinned, I deserve to die. But Christ looked at me and he said, I'm not going to let you stay there. I'm going to rescue you out of that pit. I'm going to save you. I'm going to pull you in. And I'm going to redeem you. It's beautiful. He welcomes sinners. Thus, you do the same. You welcome sinners. You look at people not as who they are. You look at them as who they could be. That guy at work, you see him as not who he is right now, but who he could be in Christ because you are also somebody who could be in Christ in some different way. That parent who you see in the pickup line, who you look at and you say, man, I'm just so glad I'm not like them. No, no, no. You don't see them as who they are. You see them as who they could be. And if I would go over and befriend that person, Christ welcomed me a sinner, so I do the same. Why? So that people far from God would come to know him and so that people who already know him would continue to be edified and encouraged. How else did he do that? Christ also entertained us when we stubbornly and continually stumbled in sin. You ever know somebody like that? Constantly, I told you a million times, that's something that you shouldn't be doing, that you shouldn't be participating in. I can't believe that Karen is still doing that thing. She calls herself a Christian. Is God not patient with you? Is Jesus not patient with us? So you are called to be patient with somebody else. You welcome people as who they could be in Jesus Christ. You're patient with people because you see them of who they could be in Jesus Christ. And let me tell you something. That does not mean you accept their sin. That means you identify it as sin and you claim it for what it is. There's nothing wrong, church, brothers and sisters in Christ, with looking at somebody else across the table and go, that is sin, and it's something I want nothing to do with. You bring your darkness to light. You let the darkness stay in there, and it manifests itself as something evil. We are not called to be that way. You bring it to light. When I'm in this conversation, guys, and you start cracking dirty jokes, I'm uncomfortable. I don't know if I could say that. But these are my friends. You walk in love because Christ identifies what is sin for us. Why does he do that? Because he loves us. A true friend is known for somebody who will seek your best. What else did he do? Well, he loved us three dearly. Loved us dearly by dying on the cross. There's the gave himself. He has given himself up for us. In his death, greater love has no one than this, than a man would lay down his life for his friends. Jesus calls you friend when he lays his life down for you. And because Jesus has laid down his life for you in his death, we lay down our life for him now. If God has given me himself in death, I give him my life. That's how it works. I'm to be an imitator of God. 
as a beloved child walking in the same love that Christ loved me. And then he gets really specific because we're still kind of hard-headed, right? I still need an example, Paul. I think I'm tracking with you. I think that I know what that looks like in my life. What does it actually mean? What does it look like? Okay, look at the last part of the verse. He says he gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Those are one. Those should not be don't pull those apart. A fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. To be an imitator of God, I'm a beloved child walking in the same love of Christ as a fragrant offering. Now, circle that word fragrant in your Bible because you know what that means in the Greek to make me sound smart? Sweet smelling. You know what a sweet smelling smell is, right? Those of us who courted our beautiful wives know exactly what this means. That first date, you got all dressed up. You were ready to go. She comes out the door. She sits next to you in the car, and you go, this is what heaven looks like. <laughs> this is what heaven smells like, right? And you met your wife. You smell, oh, she smells so good, right? And then you got married, and you realized neither of you smell very good. <laughs> He says, you should be sweet-smelling, offering, and a sacrifice to God. Now, we know some sweet smells that God smelled in the Old Testament, don't we? Noah builds a boat, right? God says, I'm going to destroy the whole entire earth. He says, there's nothing but wickedness on this earth. And uh, what I'm going to do is, I tell you what, Noah, I want you to go build a boat. And Noah says, excuse me? Uh, a what? He says, I want you to build a boat. Okay, out of what? Gopher wood? I don't know what gopher wood is, but I'll go find it. So he goes and he gets gopher wood and he builds his boat. And all of a sudden, God shuts him in the boat and he says, God, I don't know if you know this or not, but there's no rain. And God says, Don't worry about it. You're good. And so he finds himself in the boat and then all of a sudden, the rains came down and the floods came up, right? The rains came down and the floods came up. And people started hammering on the boat said, Noah, let us in, let us in, let us in, and it didn't happen, and God wipes out humanity except for Noah and his family, and they drift along this water, and then all of a sudden, they find land, and you know what the first thing that Noah does when he finds land? He builds an altar. He sacrifices to the Lord. Did you know in the Bible that that sacrifice that was to the Lord was a sweet smell in the nostrils of God? He loved it. Why? Because it was out of his heart. He saw his heart and he saw that Noah was truly thankful and grateful that he rescued him and his family and it was a sweet smell in the nostrils of God. It was the same in the book of Exodus. We read with the priests. Remember the priests, they would bring offerings to the people and some of it was incense and sometimes it was a bull or something like that and they would slit its throat and all the kids that were gathered around, ew, you know, whatever. And God says, no, 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 that's good. That's a sweet smell in the nostrils of God. There's these things in the Bible called anthropomorphisms and anthropopathisms, and all that is is a big word to say that we put human attributes to God to make him kind of seem like we can understand him a little bit. And we see here that God, whether it's emotions or, or attributes, he still loves it. That's what he's telling you in this text. He says, whenever, watch this, whenever you sacrifice something earthly for something sacred, it is a sweet smell in the eyes of God. Whenever you choose to get rid of the old self 
and say, I'm not going to participate in that, and you enter into the new self, it is a sweet smell in the nostrils of God. Anytime you sacrifice, it is a sweet smell in the eyes of God. Look at it. He says, here in the text, he says, a fragrant offering. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. We are unto God a sweet smell of Christ. Every Christ-like action that we commit is an offering to God. Every Christ-like action that we commit is an offering to God. So what's that look like? That's a good question. Dads, when you've worked a long day and you come home and you're tired and you pull up into the driveway and you put your car in park and you think to yourself, so tired. And that one big thing's on your mind from work. You know what I'm talking about. And you go into your house and you walk by your spouse and you walk by your kids. You pleased yourself. God looks at it, he says, not a sweet smell. When you walk into the house and you say, God, this is my day and, and now it's my opportunity here to love my wife and my kids. And you walk up to your wife and you grab her by the shoulders gently. And you say, honey, you look so good. She's got spaghetti all over her shirt and her hair's in a mess and she doesn't smell the grace. You say, and I love you so much and I'm so glad that you're my wife and you mean it. It's a sweet smell to God. Moms and dads, when you say the laundry can wait and the dishes can wait and your kids are asking you desperately to read them a story and you drop to the floor, that's a sweet smell to God. When you know the things that are about to come out of your mouth are horrible and crooked and you stop and you say, no, 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 no. I need to say something edifying here. It's a sweet smell to God. When that employee or that coworker comes up to you and you have a thought in your mind about how you cannot stand that they are in front of you, it's not a sweet smell to God. But when you rewrite it and say, hold on a second, Jesus, I see them as they could be. And you look at them and you say, Carol, so good to see you. I'm just so happy that you're here. And you mean it from your heart. That is an offering that is like Christ Jesus. When you love your family member. When you love your boss. There's a sweet smell to God. Paul says, a fragrant offering and sacrifice unto God. Why in the world would I sacrifice those things? Because God sacrificed himself for you on the cross. That's why. Because God looked at you while we were yet sinners. And he sent his son Christ Jesus and he died on the cross for your sins. So every time you see an opportunity to serve Christ, you look up and you say, God, you sent your son. And what I think is impossible is possible through you. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. You will never be alone. I didn't come to abandon you or to leave you, God says. I came so that you might have peace and you might know life and know it in abundance. He says, you want to be imitators of God? You want to be imitators of me? You do sweet-smelling things that are sacrificial. That are sacrificial. 
and you'll be like me. Dad was going to the hardware store Saturday, and uh, he's got the two kids, right? He's going to let mom sleep. Good job, Dad. And he says, let's go to the hardware store. As a matter of fact, a new one just opened up in town, and we'll go check that out. He goes to the hardware store in town. Two little kids are in tow. He parks in the parking lot. Kids get out. <clears throat> he sees, as he's pulling in, there's a, a petting zoo. Local church had set up a petting zoo. We've done that before, haven't we? It's crazy what happens at a petting zoo. He sees a petting zoo, though, and it says admission, and he thinks he could make it out. He sees kids flipping over coins, and he says, oh, it's quarters." So gives both of his kids a quarter. He says, I tell you what, you go into that petting zoo, and I'll go look at drill bits, and when you're done with the petting zoo, you come in and find me, and we'll go home. Oh, yes, Dad. Great. So he flips a quarter, flips a quarter, here's a quarter for you, a quarter for you, and he says, have fun, goes in the store, and he's looking at drill bits, and all of a sudden he looks down, and his daughter is standing at his feet. What are you doing? I gave you, I gave you money to go to the petting zoo. Why are you still here? I love you, but why are you here? And she looks up at him, and she says, Daddy, um, the petting zoo was 50 cents. So what I did is I gave my brother my quarter. So that he could go to the petting zoo. He says, where, where did you learn that? Where did you learn how to do that? And she says, I learned it from you. Every gift that you give as a sacrifice is a sweet smelling offering to God. If kids can do it, we can do it. How do you know? Because Christ says, you come to me like children. With faith and with actions. What is your sweet smelling offering to God? Be imitators of Him. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, it's not easy. It's difficult to give away our quarter. It's tough. Yet you say we are to be imitators of God, of you. To be like your son, Jesus. And as we sit here in these pews, I don't know who knows you and who doesn't. If you find yourself here in a moment of prayer where you don't know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, today is the day in which you say, God, I admit that I'm a sinner and that I need a Savior. I want to be your child. And he will welcome you with open arms. He says, absolutely, you are welcomed into my family. And he calls you his son or his daughter. Now, I know, God, that there's so many people who are here who've already made that decision. And so first and foremost, would you help us here in this place to see ourselves as what you just called us, as beloved children? So many of us here, wounded, hurt, angry, upset, stream of emotions running through us with all the things that we did last week, last month, last year. We are starting even to articulate in our mind how we've fallen short from you and your standard. And we look at ourselves not as beloved children. We look at ourselves as bruised and battered. And we don't even want to look in the mirror. But God, would you be the one who lifts our head? And would you whisper in ways that I can't this morning to the people who are gathered here that you love us and that you care for us? Would you whisper in those who have called you King of kings and Lord of lords, would you whisper this morning in their ear and impress the truth on their heart 
that they are your beloved children, that I am your beloved child whom you love. May we not see ourselves for who we once were. May we see ourselves the way that you see us. And may that be the catalyst, God, for us to walk in love like your son. As we know, all things are possible with God. And press that truth upon our heart, God, that we can love people like Christ because he dwells within us. That that hard thing that is right outside of these doors is possible. We can love another because you loved us. And that people would see us as Christians by what we say and by what we do. And God, the biggest thing today is that our actions, and our words, what we choose to put in front of our eyes, what we choose to hear with our ears, would be a sweet smell in your nostrils. God, impress on our hearts here today the things that we need to do to be a sweet smell, a sacrifice to you. Not because it earns us our salvation, but because you loved us enough to give us salvation. Jesus, we love you. We love that you died on the cross for our sins. We love that you made the sacrifice. And so we in turn sacrifice as an act of worship to you. Aid us and equip us as we venture out these doors to be your hands and feet. So we know the gospel's on the line. And all God's people said. Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab.